Welcome back to the show, the second hour of the, for now at least, inaptly named Canucks Hour, because yeah, we're, we're two hours uh, for the foreseeable future here. 10 to noon is our time slot for the next couple of weeks. So. I, think, I think we should refer to the show for the next couple of weeks as the plural. <laughs> like the Ocho? Yeah, the like plural. the plural. We're the hours. We are. It is uh, Virginia Wolf season. Yeah, hours. People, I was gonna say people used to say like I guess it's only like scary hours or whatever or blank hours or whatever. Right. This is Canucks hours. Canucks hours. Yeah. Plural. It's the yes. plural. It's the plural. Um, lots to get into, man. The Canucks they, they did us a huge favor really by having that uh, that busy Canada day by making news. And I <laughs> thank you. Yeah, no, it was great. <laughs> hey, we love it. Let's go. You love to see it. Well, and, and just the start. Uh, look, let, before we get into coaches Rathbone Miller, which we're we're gonna get into all of that over the next hour. Oh, yeah. Before we get into that, let's do a little inventory. Let's do a little inventory and just sort of discuss sure. what this week means and discuss what's on tap for the next two weeks while we're the hours, while we're pluralizing on these airwaves. And we hope you'll join us every day, ten to twelve. We'll be here, including for Agency Day, which I'm very excited oh, about. Oh, I cannot wait. That'll Fantastic. be a ton of fun. Good so, time slot. Good time slot for Free Agency Day. Especially because we'll have nothing to break down. <laughs> anyway. Hold on. Before, <laughs> a, a true like example of how sick I am is that over the course of the weekend, I just found myself you know, like in the shower idly thinking about uh, what the next Team Canada Olympic or Best on Best roster oh, would look like. Oh, and, you're like, ready. And just like... Could Bowen Byram play his way onto that yes, tournament? Yes, and you know, could. you know, d- pulling up the stats. Okay, left-sided defenseman, and that was my takeaway as well. I was like, I don't know, Bowen Byram might play his way onto that team. Anyways, that's just a little uh, snippet into my. It's just going to be the entire Avs left side. Yeah, seriously, very. Possible. It could be McCarr, Taves, Byram. I think. Anyways. I think Thomas Shabbat will have something to say about yes. that. But this is a little preview of the type of content you could be oh, getting if, if there's no signings that go down on uh, on free agency day. Anyways, right. let's take stock. Let's take stock. Oh, I guess it's nine. The market opens at nine. It opens at here. nine, but that's okay. all right. Okay, we got, no, we got no, some no, no. My news bad. can happen. I just assumed it was noon because I'm, I'm, you know, everyone knows my affection for East Coast time. So we will have a ton of stuff. Yeah, to break everything out. will happen, and then Perfect. we'll come on and, and tell you about it. It'll laughing, be great. Laughing. All right. We're talking about the off season, and I want to do just like a quick and dirty kind of primer here. What I'm monitoring, where the Canucks stand. So I mentioned this briefly during our interview with John Wall, but having updated. You know, I've been talking about six point four million in cap space for months, right? Since I modeled it after the season, six point four million. Well, Besser came in at a whole fifteen k higher than my model projected him to, and also uh, Jack Rathbone, or sorry, no, Andre Kuzmenko has been landed since I since I last projected it. Jack Rathbone comes in about forty k under where I'd modeled him to be at. So, where do we sit now? 22 men on the 23-man roster with Yuho Lamico and uh, Matthew Highmore being projected to to take up a combined nine, uh, 1.92 uh, K, one point, or $1.92 million in cap space. So that's 22 men on the roster, just over $5.2 million in space now that we're factoring in all of those changes that I mentioned. For me... I thought John Wall had an interesting answer about it in terms of looking at it in terms of opportunity as opposed to the hard number. But I find it easiest to explain it to people by focusing on the hard number. 5.2 million to me is you can either take sort of two little check swings at the ball or you can go for kind of one 
home run cut without carving out additional flex. Now, obviously, 5.2 is super malleable. If Pullman stays on LTI, for example, that's 7.7. If Pullman stays on LTI and Jason Dickinson goes below the line into the American uh, into the American League, then you're talking about you know 9.2, right? All of a sudden, you're looking at a, a home run cut and a single. So, but other things have to happen for the Canucks to open up more for me than like one big swing or or two sort of mid-range swings to add to their group. Two Tony Gwynn swings. Just poke there it into go. left field. Exactly. Yeah. And so, you know, I think that's an important starting point as we go into the portion of the offseason in the lead up to the NHL draft where annually, right, the draft stimulates the biggest deals. The biggest trades of the NH- on the NHL calendar usually happen over the next 72 hours. Like, over the next 72 hours, we are on watch for the big deals. And the Canucks are one of the teams that may make the big deals. Now, I reported on Friday that I thought Horvat was, you know, in a comfortable spot with the Canucks in terms of both sides being relatively comfortable with the notion that they see eye to eye on what an extension could look like. I'm still not expecting it to get done and announced on the 13th, but I'm not saying it won't either. All right. Right? I think that as the weekends unfold, sometimes you report things, and then because you're close, you know, you start to get more intel. People reach out. People comment. You yeah. start to get more intel. The Horvat thing I'm, I'm actually feeling more confident about, more certain about, that, like, Horvat's not going anywhere. That I was always certain about. But I think a deal might be closer than I'd even expected when I reported that on Friday. So I want to caption that as sort of a, a big domino. Assuming that that's correct, which I do, the the sort of spotlight on JT Miller, and now we can get a little bit into the JT Miller thing, sort of shines more brightly. And Elliot Friedman obviously dropped a, a 32 thoughts, uh, a huge notes on every single team. Absolute must He read. dropped it at 3 a.m. Yeah. Absolute must 3 a.m. on the East Coast. I texted him at you know 4 a.m. his time on like late, like 1 a.m. our time, late, uh, early Sunday, Sunday morning, I suppose, and just called him a machine. And he said, or I'm an idiot. <laughs> um, Friedman is now out ahead on the expectation that Miller will be dealt, I think. I think it's fair to say that the most reliable insider in the game, a guy whose edge over the other newsbreakers in this industry appears to be growing somehow, he seems to be pretty convinced. He's the man. He's the man. Yeah. And, and his intel all seems to be pointing toward a Miller exit. Um, you know, perhaps more decisively than I've been prepared to state in public. I've, I've sort of long expected a Miller deal, but I've always kind of couched it because I know, I know internally that the organization is very eyes wide open about the magnitude of what replacing Miller would look like, like how difficult that would be to do. So I've always sort of hedged, but, but Friedman seems to be pointing in that direction. Chatter in the industry seems to be pointing in that direction. And if it's going to happen, as I reported on Friday, right? I do. I don't believe. And Alvin sort of publicly commented in a way that you'd expect, which is, you know, well, he's got signed for the next year. We're happy to. I don't believe that the team is comfortable hanging on to Miller unextended beyond the silly season. Like I think this situation has to be resolved from their view, one way or the other. I don't think they view this like the deadline. This is a different type of pressure point, and as such, you know, I mean, I think the spotlight is big. Big and bright 
on the Canucks and on JT Miller for the next 72 hours. And, and I think that's worth sort of kicking off our Miller discussion just by taking stock of where we are and what the NHL calendar looks like through the course of, a, of the plurals run as a two-hour show over the next two weeks. <laughs> so let's just walk through this. And, and I'm glad you brought up the Friedman report. If you haven't had a chance to to read the, the mega edition of 32 Thoughts that Elliot put out over the weekend, go check it out, sportsnet.ca. Lots of really fascinating details and intel in there, as you said, on every team in the NHL going into the draft. The line on Miller from Friedman was, it's going to be too hard to get an extension done. Now, I don't want to completely blow out semantics and word choice and blow it out of proportion. Having said that, Friedman, as you said, the insider in the game, extremely smart, extremely careful about how he words things. And when I read that sentence, it's going to be too hard to get an extension done. The thing that stuck out to me was the certainty, right? It wasn't, it might be too hard to get an extension done. You know, if it's too hard to get an extension done, then maybe they move him. It was, it's going to be too hard to get an extension done. Now, I don't think Friedman is guaranteeing a Miller trade, right? Things can always change, all of that. But I was really struck by the certainty and the kind of concrete nature of that language. As you said, from the, everything we're hearing from Friedman recently is pointing in the direction of a potential JT Miller trade. And as you said, likely this week, because that's when mega deals tend to go down in the NHL. Now, I wanted to read a few texts that came in earlier in the show, and 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. You can hit us up with your thoughts. Uh, Dunbar Lumber, the smart alternative. Visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. And, you know, as soon as we started to really dive in to the Besser conversation and the Besser details, the text came in, right? Hey, what does this mean for Miller? Another one. Miller is gone for sure. This one from Brandon in Vancouver who says, hey, JT Miller Seagull here. I think the move is to move on, but I'm starting to Miller? wonder. Miller? I'm starting to wonder if it's a strengthening possibility that JT Miller comes back next year with an uncertain future. Lots of comments and questions along those lines. And what I will say is just my, when you hear the Brock Besser deal, right? And then as you said, all signs pointing to a long-term Bo Horvat extension sooner rather than later, right? All signs pointing to that. You never know, but that's certainly the expectation right now. Pedersen, Demko, Hughes, they're not going anywhere, okay? So Besser, Horvat, Pedersen, Demko, Hughes, very, very strong possibility, nearing a certainty that all of them are on the team next year. If you bring Miller back for next season, and not just bring him back for next season, but extend him, how much are you really changing this team? How much wiggle room do you have to change this team? <laughs> like, like, what, are you, what, what is going to be the big seismic shift? Is it going to be trading Connor Garland? Yeah. Let's uh, let's just pour one out for the for the Besser Seagulls because you're, you're putting Brock Besser on an untouchables list. That's got to be the first time. I'm not that's... saying he's an untouchables no, no, list. You're... What I'm saying is he's here. We're, he's signed. We're, we're putting him aside as a trade candidate. That hasn't happened in this market in five years. So pour one out. Yeah. Pour one out. Throw some breadcrumbs out for the Besser. 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 <laughs> and the Besser, hey. the Besser Seagulls are fed. They're going away. What happened? <laughs> Bye, Besser Seagulls. We'll see you next fall. And hey. <laughs> maybe in a, a year, a 18 of months. watching on this show, my goodness. <laughs> a year or 18 months, maybe they come back, right? You never know, but it's not a conversation point for no, this offseason they're, they're not anymore. trading. They're not trading him right after the, no. the, the agreement they just reached. Now, the JT Miller thing, the Miller Seagulls. Let's feed the Miller Seagulls a bit. It, I, still, I still wouldn't be shocked. I still wouldn't be shocked if both sides took one more run at this. Right, I think the idea that Miller's been unwilling to commit 
in this city is is wrong, right? I think Miller's really enjoyed playing here uh, for a lot of reasons. I think he's got a personality to handle it, which is not common necessarily. It's not as rare either as the detractors. Like it's the worst market. Like those people are uh, way way out to lunch in my view. They're at least they're. There's a grain of truth there, but people sit on that point too much. They like to make it. Miller's got a personality to handle this market. I think he's really close with some of the American-born players on this team. I think he's enjoyed being here. So I'm not saying it's... I, I don't, I've never viewed this as an impossibility. I know that the organization loves him as a player, right? Like, there's a ton of value uh, that the organization ascribes to what he can do. And I also think there's a looming recognition of how hard he is to replace could the sides go another round this week maybe maybe i think the you know i i don't i'm loath to disagree with elliot friedman because friedman's uh supremacy is is actually growing as a newsbreaker here but i'm less convinced than friedman like friedman writes that a deal's not getting done i'm less convinced of that than Friedman is at this juncture. And, and I will just, again, as I said, I don't want to say that Elliot Friedman is guaranteeing it or anything like that. It just struck me. The certainty of the language struck me. And the, I know but, he's no, careful the, and really. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. He, he's, he's he not, thinks through he's, his words very carefully. He's not wrong. Um, what, when, do you have it up? What was the wording on the deal getting done? Because that was the sentence that really struck me when I read it at 1 a.m. or 1.40 Yeah, I'll pull it up Saturday again, morning. but as I said, and what I have in my notes here was, it's going to be too hard to get an extension done. It's going done. to be too hard to get an extension done. Okay, that's pretty declarative. I, I, I'm not disagreeing with Elliot by any means. So much as where my certainty hinges is less about that than it is about the fact that it has to get done for a trade to not happen. Like, my certainty is that one way or another, something happens with Miller. It's either a trade or it's an extension, but something has to has to give in this situation. That's my view of it. That's where I have some certainty. Friedman seems to have that extra layer of certainty, believing strongly that a deal is going to be too difficult to reach. That points to, in only one direction, and that's sort of the big thing that, you know, whether, whether we're birds of a feather, whether we're seagulls or not, um, you know, is going to dominate, guide. Uh, take over the conversation in this hockey market in the lead up to the draft. And, you know, as it should, that this is a huge moment for the franchise. The valuation on a potential Miller return, but also the commitment that the organization is poised to duck in the event that they don't extend him, that's basically everything here. And, and I know that the Fiala return is going to loom large in, in terms of judging the Miller trade. I've talked a little bit about that. We talked a little bit about that last week. I saw that Friedman sort of seemed to imply that he'd heard some of the similar things that I had about Brock Faber, right? The preferred the snow to the sunshine line in 32 Thoughts. So, um, you know, there's parts of that return that need to be looked at in very careful context, in my view. For me, a Miller return should exceed it. I would be pretty surprised if it doesn't, even though Miller only outperformed Fiala by 14 points. The positional versatility, I, I think, is a and, big deal here. And the production, first of all, it is still 14 points, so he outproduced him, and more consistent production the previous two years as well, which I think totally. goes a long way to increasing JT Miller's value. And Fiala no-showed in the playoffs, and Miller didn't make it, but, I mean, we all know what Miller is in terms of being a, a, a guy who likes the moment. And, and here's the last thing. You know, I've had people say to me, well, look at the market now. 
Pierre-Luc Dubois could be available. It's like Pierre-Luc Dubois hit 60 points in two of six seasons. Like Pierre-Luc Dubois is not even an analog for Bo Horvat. I'm sorry. Like that's just true. And what about Alex Dabrinkit? Well, Alex Dabrinkit's incredible and, and seven years younger, but he's also five foot nine and can't play center. He's not a center. I mean, there's a huge difference. If you're a win-now team, considering your options, there is only one JT Miller. There's nothing else like that that could be available on the trade market. Nazem, Nazem Kadri, Kadri is the analog free agency, on free agency, yeah. But that's it. But that And, and again, there's no, you know, uh, cop, I guess, would be the other option. It, there's not a ton of guys uh, that are sort of, that sort of match this description. Really, in terms of the high-end scoring, it's, it's Kadri and Miller. Uh, that bring that element. So the Canucks are well-placed. They should do better than the Fiala return. I would expect them to do better than the Fiala return. And yet, for me, the big value in making this deal remains. And this is something I've been really consistent about saying over the last six months. It's not so much about the pick you get. And for me, it's not so much about the prospect you get or the young player you get. So much as it's what you do with the opportunity cost you carve out by not committing you know, seven times eight, five or five times eight, five, whatever it's going to end up taking on a Miller extension. It's about what else you do to balance out this roster and support the core group that exists on the other side of JT Miller in the event that he's traded, that's going to decide whether or not that deal works or not. I think, I think that's far more important than far more important ultimately than the return. And that speaks to what we talked about with Jay wall too, where, where I think it's really vital to understand the cap space element and how that will ultimately drive outcomes for the Canucks on the other side of a supposed JT Miller trade, if, in in fact, we see that occur this week. Well, and to tie it back to what I was saying at the beginning of this segment in this discussion, right, if you bring JT Miller back on a long-term extension, you are really limiting your opportunities to dramatically change the path that this team is on. You, and hey, look, maybe there's still a world where you choose to go down that path and you can do enough around the margins that you you get to yourself to a truly uh, to truly be a Stanley Cup competitor. But you're basically locked into one path involving the core that we've already seen here in place. If you trade him, yeah, you're right. You get presumably some pretty good assets, some pretty desirable assets back in a deal. But you also open up a whole bunch of different missing pieces or sorry, a whole bunch of uh, different possibilities that you can explore down the line because you're not committing that mega salary uh, to the player. And I did want to, I'll just read the, for full context, the nuggets from Elliot Friedman in his mega 32 thoughts. That's up at sportsnet.ca right now. So he starts with just a little bit about the Brock Besser deadline. Here's what else, or Brock Besser deal, I should say. Here's what else he has to say. He says there's a path to Bo, uh, Bo Horvat extension. Hard to predict a timeline, but that's the goal. Then he says whether it's the Rangers or Washington or someone else, the Canucks will aim higher than Minnesota's return for Fiala and should get it for JT Miller. It's going to be too hard to get an extension done. He also says the Canucks could surprise us. The Tyler Myers rumors have been there forever. They've got a price they want paid to consider it, but a few teams have suggested they might do something we haven't thought of yet as well. So yeah, there you go. That's a nice little uh, a tidbit saying that there could be a surprise, interesting move on the horizon for the Canucks as well. But just to bring it back to JT Miller, you know, as we have gone over and over and over the situation here with JT Miller, I do think, you know, we've almost gotten to this place where we're kind of missing the big picture. 
with JT Miller, right? And, you know, we're, we're trying to identify potential landing spots and who could be interested in giving him the contract and all that. And I know there's been some thought that, well, maybe the market for his services isn't as robust as we thought. And, you know, he's he's going to be 29. Our team's really going to line up to give him a big deal. And I think at a certain point, we just going to have to step back and, you know, take away a lot of the little details of it and say, this is a 99-point player who plays center. Is there going to be a market for his services? Like, all of NHL history says yes. Our team's going to want to pay him? All of NHL history says yes. And maybe this is the odd one out and teams are scared off by his age, whatever the case is. But I would be very hesitant to kind of buy into the idea that, oh, you know what? Don't expect the Fiala return for JT Miller. Like, we, we got to keep in perspective the quality of asset that this is and how rarely it becomes available on the trade market. Yeah, uh, I think the Canucks are pursuing or are, are proceeding with that in mind, right? I mean, I think that's why talks have been intense, you know, over the course of the past couple of months, right? I mean, there's been every tire kicked, you know, from my understanding, in terms of figuring out exactly what it could look like and, and whether or not it can be team-friendly enough to work within what this team's cap structure will look like in a couple of years, you know, on the other side of raises for Besser has now got his, but Horvat. Pedersen, you know, then Pod Coles and Hoaglander on top yeah. of that. I mean, it gets... Under Kuzmenko, if you want to keep him around, if he if he shows if well he here hits. in the NHL. Right. I mean, it's wildly complex. Wildly complex in terms of the... Um, all of the different balls that the Canucks are juggling in, in terms of their overall cap situation. And, and, you know, the fact that there's just not a ton of flexibility to begin with. So... As we look out at this week, we all know that JT Miller's sort of going to dominate the conversation. This week is kind of going to be JT Miller week one way or another, in my view. And then and then we're going to get into some other sort of interesting deadlines. So I, I, before we go to break here, I just want to quickly do the what this week looks like thing, okay? The Canucks have decamped to Montreal. So have 31 other NHL hockey operations groups. That tends to stimulate uh, a fair bit of talks and... Of course, this is the first in-person NHL draft since the one that was hosted in Vancouver another lifetime ago in 2019. That happened so long ago, I worked the draft for the Florida Panthers. <laughs> for the Florida Panthers. Do you know who the Miami Herald's uh, stringer was covering the draft? Yeah. Harmon Dial. <laughs> Let's go. That's how long ago this was. Also, so, uh, the last time the Canucks made a first-round pick, Vasily Podkolzin. Vasily Podkolzin, yeah. When the JT Miller trade went down. Wow. That was the last time. Wow. That's incredible. So it's the first live and in-person NHL draft in over three years. That will occur Thursday night and then Friday morning. And we'll be live. Like, I, I, I'd i imagine I'll be live from the draft floor on the Friday. We're still figuring out. Exactly yeah, we're um, we're going to be on air. We're not going to commit you because we know you'll be hustling and doing lots of work. We're not going to commit you to being on air for the whole uh, duration of it, but we'll be checking in with you regularly. Yeah, Don't worry. Looking forward to it. And then we'll go through next weekend. And, and usually it's a little bit quiet the weekend after the draft because teams are hustling up. Because here's another thing. The Canucks have dev camp. The Canucks have dev camp again. That'll open on Monday, right, at uh, UBC, out at, out at UBC. And for those of you who don't know, for, for Ryan Johnson, right, for example, the draft happens and immediately – you go into discussing and booking travel and booking accommodations with all of the players you draft. Because you got to get those guys to Vancouver. you got to get them to Vancouver to be in, in dev camp on the Monday, which, you know, and usually you have fitness testing on the Sunday. Like, literally, you have a 48-hour turnaround to clear out 
you know, ex WHL defenseman you've drafted's uh, inebriated uncle from the suite and then book them on a flight out to get to dev camp. You then also have to flesh out your dev camp roster. So, you know, don't be surprised if a couple undrafted guys that the Canucks quite liked, right? Some guys that they're maybe surprised didn't get selected end up being invited, right? That's sort of a scramble too. Dev camp will open on Monday. You'll also have the qualifying offer deadline on Monday. Not a ton of suspense there, I don't think. Yuho Lamico, Matthew Highmore, uh, Justin Bailey is sort of the guy who seems to be most on the edge. I think Lamico's a slam dunk. Yeah, Lamico or Highmore not getting dunk. qualified would be really surprising. I think. I, I'm, Matthew Highmore for sure is getting qualified. Yuho Lamico, I'd be a little less surprised by, but I wouldn't be I wouldn't be completely flabbergasted. All of that said, I would expect them to extend uh, him a qualifying offer. Is there anyone else of interest? Like, now that Besser's signed and Rathbone signed, I guess Mike DiPietro is the other one to watch for. The next day, you have the close of the buyout window I reported over the weekend at The Athletic. My expectation is not, is not that the Canucks will consider a Jason Dickinson buyout, which isn't to say that they're not going to solve the problem in another way. It's just to say I'd be surprised to see a buyout of that contract before the 12th. And then, of course, we get into Wednesday, and that's the silly season day. That's NHL free agency, and things will then, – then we'll really get the pyrotechnics. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of what the next two weeks looks like. We'll, of course, be with you two hours a day throughout it. But just to give you sort of the – you know, the Miller, talk, the Miller thing hangs over everything. But I don't think you, you know, I think we'll be monitoring and talking about Tyler Myers, Connor Garland. Absolutely. Tanner Pearson. Those are all, I, I mean, I, I just Mike read the, what Elliot Friedman had to say about, you know, Myers, a surprise move. You could say that the Besser signing maybe points a little bit toward, moves the needle a little bit towards a JT Miller trade. But I think you could say the same thing I, about Connor Garland. I think they're completely unconnected. Well, I just mean from the perspective of again, or how willing are you to commit to? But, but I guess my overall I've point just always is, rejected the assertion that they were connected. Look, I'm not saying it's a oh, okay, well, you can only keep one; you have to trade the other yeah, guy. Yeah. But my point is, the more players you lock up, I think it's reasonable to then speculate about other players at the same position, right? Because I still think this this management group wants to uh, wants to make some significant changes to the team. At least that's my perspective. And yeah, you're right; it's not just JT Miller and Bo Horvat and Brock Besser that we should be focused on. There could be a whole bunch of other interesting moves that happen over the next couple of weeks. All right, we are going to take a quick break here. Still lots of interesting news. I mean, the Canucks significantly refashioned their coaching staff at the NHL and AHL level, and we haven't really had a chance to get into it yet because there's been so much else going on, but we will talk about that, plus maybe a little bit of the Jack Rathbone contract as well that was announced on Friday. Keep getting your questions in as well. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Back with the final segment of the plural Canucks Hour extended here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to the show, Canucks Hour Extended, the plural here on Sportsnet 650, final segment of the show before we turn you over to uh, to the people show, and still so much to get into, Drancer, because of all of the news that the Canucks made. I did want to read this text, uh, unsigned, it says, uh, enough of the JT, or sorry, forget the JT Miller speculation, where's the Joey Chestnut coverage after yet another victory? It's from Brian in Nanaimo, and yeah, shout out to uh, the GOAT hot dog eating competitor joey chestnut Can you imagine betting the field against joey <laughs> what are you doing come on stop but i did uh, I, I i shared this with you um 
earlier in the show off air, but you know, we get these kind of up breaking news email blasts from head offices at Sportsnet in Toronto just to make sure we're all on top of things when big things happen in the NHL world. And the one that came through during our uh, our first segment was all caps. Joey Chestnut chokeslams protester mid contest. So there you go. If, if you're not caught up on your uh, Joey Chestnut Nathan's hot dog eating contest news, apparently he chokeslammed a protester uh, mid contest. So shout out to Joey Chestnut for that one. All right. We've talked about Brock Besser. We've talked about JT Miller. We have really only alluded to in passing what on a normal day would have been a really pretty significant piece of news uh, from the Vancouver Canucks. They made a bunch of changing changes to their coaching staff, both at the NHL and AHL level on Friday. So I'll just run through the, uh, the relevant moves. One is that Bradshaw, who is assistant coach here is leaving to uh, join his former uh, head coaching boss, John Tortorella. They were together in Columbus. Now they'll be together in felt in Philadelphia. Mike Yo joins the Canucks staff. Trent Cull is promoted from the head coach of Abbotsford. He's going to be on the Canucks bench now as an assistant coach of the Vancouver Canucks, of course. And Jeremy Colleton takes over as the Abbotsford Canucks head coach. So really interesting moves. And I think probably more movement. We are all expecting the addition of uh, another assistant coach, right? And, and I think there was some inkling that Brad Shaw could potentially leave the organization as well. So the Mike Yo name is not particularly surprising, but I thought it was interesting at least that Trent Cole got the promotion and that Jeremy Colleton is the guy who's going to take over in Abbotsford. What was your kind of big picture reaction to the moves behind the various benches for the Canucks transfer? So I've got a lot of thoughts. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> All right. First off, let's start with... I am shocked. Let's start with the Trent Imagine Cole. if I threw it to you, you're just like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, seems <laughs> fine. <laughs> Coaches don't make that big an impact anyway. Um, Look, the Mike Yo one I find fascinating. Organization is all singing from the same hymn book, right? He was Bruce Boudreaux's first choice, okay? It's a line that I'm side-eyeing with a little bit of skepticism, right? Mike Yo was the head coach of the Abbott's or sorry, the Wilkes-Barre Scranton Penguins for a long time while Patrick Alvine worked for the Penguins organization. And we know how involved Alvine ultimately became with the AHL apparatus in Pittsburgh. Uh, Yo was also uh, an assistant ultimately with the Penguins before he left to take the Minnesota Wild job. I think 2011-12 was when he did so. So there's about 10 years in which Alvine and Mike Yo are in the same organization. Um, Bruce Boudreaux's first choice happens to have a decade-long run as a colleague of the general manager. Okay, I mean, maybe it's serendipity, but it's something that I'm, if you read my work over the weekend, it's not something that I really repeated, even though, you know, I've been told it multiple times by multiple sources uh, on and off record. It's just something that, you know, I'm sort of eyeing with a little bit of skepticism. I still think there's... A, a political element stemming from the way that the Boudreaux situation went down earlier this offseason, right? I know that part of what the organization has tasked Boudreaux with in terms of this new staff is building a different level of chemistry than what he was able to have with a group that he mostly inherited a year ago. Really, we're looking at a staff now where Boudreaux and Jason King are the only holdovers, right? This is wholesale change. Yo's coming in. He's got a long-standing working relationship with various members of the organization who've come from Pittsburgh. That would include Scott Young. That would include Derek Clancy. That would include Patrick Alvine. 
Um, he's coming in as an assistant. Looks like he'll have a general portfolio. So something pretty similar to what Brad Shaw's portfolio was before Scott Walker got hit by that puck and he ended up taking over that. Trent Call's coming up, and I think this one's a little mystifying to a lot of people in Vancouver. Obviously, the organization feels that Call did a good enough job to warrant a look on an NHL bench. I think it's really hard to evaluate, and I've said this before, I think it's really hard to evaluate the performance of various people within the organization under the former regime just because of the way that things were run overall. Um, You know, in particular in Abbotsford, the budget was so low. The quality of prospects coming through the organization was so low that I don't know how much you can say, well, there's been no guy who's made the team out of the AHL. Well, sure, all their good players went directly into the show, and the team never really had a ton of mid-round picks. It's not like, put it this way, it's not like a bunch of players like a Cole Lind or a Jonah Gadjevich have gotten free from Cole and become great players. You know what I mean? Like, I guess you could point to Jonathan Dolan, but for me, he's sort of like a perimeter-oriented middle six scorer. Like, he can play NHL minutes for you on a bad team, but... You know, it's not like Nikolai Goldobin, freed from the yoke of Trent Cole, became this scoring stud. Like, it's just, there, there's no track record of that. So, I find it hard to blame Call for some of what he is criticized for in this market, if that makes sense. And, you know who had a great season in the AHL last year under Trent Call was the team's top prospect, who they just signed to a two-year deal in Jack Rathbone, right? So, sure. it's not as if, oh, well, he, you know, no one's developed, no one's ever played well under him. Like, Jack Rathbone just had a phenomenal season in the AHL playing under yeah. Trent Call. And if you want to write that off and say, well, yeah, Jack Rathbone's great, well, then you have to apply that same standard to the players that didn't pan out, right? And you have to at least apply some of the blame to the players in those situations. And I think the AHL coaching thing is just such an example of what the dynamic is on the inside of the organization matters so much. And right. we're never going to be fully privy to what no. exactly that is. But clearly, Cole has earned a fair bit of trust within the new regime. Ryan Johnson is for sure a big supporter. Um, and, you know, if you are, if you want to sort of look at it another way, moving Cole up to the bench where he will, as far as I understand, run the defense. I assume usually when you run the defense, you also run the penalty kill. So I would assume that falls under his uh, auspices as well. In a world where that happens, you also create the vacancy at the American League level, right? And so we'll get into Colleton next. Now, Colleton was a coach for Mora IF, which is a club team in Sweden that Patrick Alvin actually played his last games for. Like the last pro games of Alvin's career came with Mora uh, IK. Obviously, their term is separated by like a decade. They never crossed paths there. But Alvin was the director of European scouting while Colleton coached in the American League. And I think it's fair to say that Alvin was pretty impressed, like registered in his mind that some of the young players that Colleton worked with at Mora were were sort of like off-the-radar guys that ended up becoming, if not full-time NHL-level players, pretty close. Uh, you know, Matthias Brohm's a really good example. He ended up signing an NHL deal, um, wasn't drafted, played a ton for Colleton over over his four years in Mora, and ended up getting to the league. Uh, you know, I think that stood out to Alvin. You think about uh, Pierre Engvall, another guy. Late-round pick, tons of tools, not very consistent. Took a ton of developmental steps under Colleton for... Alvin, who watched that play out closer than almost anyone in the industry, I think that registered, like in the back of his mind, was like, okay, there's something going on here that I'm interested in. 
Colton went on to coach in Rockford for a year. There's some players that ended up being, you know, decent NHL players that played on that roster. Guys like Matthew Highmore, guys like David Kampf. And then, of course, he ended up taking over in Chicago after Joel Quenville. Brutal situation, right? That team was historically bad defensively, which is sort of the mark against Colton. But how much do you blame him for that, considering, you know, the absolute rut that that organization drove itself into with a series of brutal decisions, including that Seth Jones trade culminating last summer in one of the worst trades in recent memory, the Seth Jones deal. And you also remember the narrative of, you know, the team's best players were not exactly thrilled that Joel Quenville was gone from that organization, oh. as I remember it, right? Yeah. So that, you're stepping in for a guy who won three Stanley Cups there, one of the most respected at the time head coaches <laughs> around the league. Got to add that caveat. And your veteran players who you know came up and did all that winning with him aren't aren't thrilled about it. An extraordinarily well, tough spot for him to be in. And they played weird. They always played weird, but they played even weirder as I think those veteran players became harder and harder to you know explain to like hey, we don't play like that anymore. So they were doing this like group, they were doing this, you know, five-man regroup thing. They they played roller hockey in the NHL. Honestly, tactically, the Chicago Blackhawks were playing roller hockey in the NHL with predictable results. And so I think the organization thinks that Colleton will be a lot better, having had that experience, being put into a situation where he's supported differently at the American League level, where he can apply some of what they saw uh, from him, Alvin in particular, in Sweden to their organization. Now, my understanding is that Alvin and Colleton have been talking for months and have developed an actual, uh, like a fair bit of affinity for one another. Alvin was obviously talking to a ton of coaching candidates in concert with Bruce Boudreau as the organization staffed Boudreau's coaching staff. But the Colton hire, I think if you're picking that out as the one that looms largest for you, I don't think you're wrong to do so. Because we know how important that role was in Alvin's former organization. You know, you think about them having, they had Mike Yo, then they had John Hines, then they had Mike Sullivan, right? I mean, the Wilkes-Barre model calls for a really high-profile coach in the American League who's very much a candidate to be your next bench boss, like very much so. And so Colleton sort of going in there, considering what I what I learned over the weekend about how, you know, he developed that relationship, that affinity, that understanding with Alvin, that hire to me is almost the biggest one. And... As we zoom out and look at the big picture, the Canucks have basically had a wholesale change in their the composition of their overall coaching staff. Included in that is an assistant with eight years of experience as a head coach in Mike Yo, and three years of experience as a head coach in, in Jer- Jeremy Colleton. Considering how everything played out in May and April with between Boudreaux and Canucks management, with the refusal to do the extension, with the critical comments about structure, with what I know about how the organization has tasked Boudreaux to be more collaborative, to to develop that sort of environment within the staff. Um, you know, I know that Boudreaux was involved in, in fleshing this out, for sure. I'm not disputing that. But in a lot of ways, I do wonder if this is the staff Boudreaux himself would have built. And And I think that's sort of worth noting as we look through exactly what changes have occurred. And, and finally, Curtis Sanford does look like uh, a strong candidate to be the Toronto Maple Leafs next head coach. Congratulations. Goalie coach. Goalie coach. What did he- I say? Head, head coach. Head goalie coach. <laughs> now that would be exciting. I meant head goalie coach. <laughs> um, goalie coach. 
That would be a tremendous opportunity for him. Just like just like Bradshaw and I reported this at the Athletic. Got a huge offer from Philadelphia. Four years. He had one year remaining. You can't stand in the way of people within your organization when they get those types of opportunities. Just like they couldn't stand in the way of Manny Mohotra when he went to go work on the bench in Toronto. Um, if Sanford's a top guy, that's a that's a a role well earned. He's been with the Canucks uh, AHL affiliate since the 17-18 season, meaning that you know all of Di Pietro, Demko, and uh, Spencer Martin, who's obviously his sort of player development Mona Lisa, have passed through there. Uh, you won't hear a bad word about the, the the so-called Sandman in this industry, and that's a pretty rare quality. You, you sort of mark when you never hear a bad thing about a guy because it's enormously telling. So if, in fact, Chris Johnson reported at first, He's bulletproof. And I saw PJ followed up confirming that report that it looks like that's the direction confirming it's going. Confirming the report that it looks like. So yeah. the point being, it's not quite yet confirmed. Um, CJ reported it, and we'll see if uh, we'll see if it does play out that way. If it does, that's a job. Uh, that's a role well-deserved by Sanford. And, and, you know, not small shoes to fill for the Canucks. And the one point I'll make about the Sanford thing is you said you can't stand in people's way when they get those sorts of opportunities. 100%. The other thing is the Canucks goalie development process has been one of the bright spots of the organization for a while now, right? With Ian Clark and Curtis Sanford. Yep. When that happens, teams notice, and they're going to try to get your people. Like, that's part of what comes with success is, oh, hey, the person who is an architect of this successful program, yeah, I want them in my organization. I also think, yeah, you're going to have, it's big shoes to fill with Curtis Sanford, but if you're a candidate, if you're a future goalie coach candidate out there, I think that aperture job is really appealing, right? Because you saw Curtis Sanford just potentially used it as a launching pad uh, to a goalie coach job in the NHL. And you know you're going to come and, and get to work with Ian Clark. He has a hand in identifying the talent of the goalies that you're going to work with. Helping or allowing your people to move on to better jobs, I think it's also just kind of an advertisement for your organization as a whole, right? Hey, come work with us. You're going to develop. You're going to have opportunities in the future as well. And I think the same goes with this Curtis Sanford example. Yeah, the Jeremy Colton one, that is the one that stuck out to me. And I think it's going to be really interesting, you know, how the duties are divided between Mike Yo and Trent Cullen, Bruce Boudreaux, and, and what the functioning of that new staff is going to look like. But when I think about Colton and Abbotsford, you know, we know Patrick Alvin and Jim Rutherford have emphasized they want Abbotsford to be an elite AHL franchise. They want it to be a strength of this organization, that, that the Abbotsford Canucks are one of the best teams year after year in the AHL. So getting a chance to hire a coach who, you know, yeah, he's been an NHL head coach or he was an NHL head coach for three years. Jeremy Colton's only 37 years old. He's only 37 years old. He's already been a head coach at the NHL level, in Europe, in the AHL. He has a lot of different experiences already at a very young age. He's the type of guy that, okay, maybe it's not as simple as, you know, he's going to be a, co a head coach in waiting for the Vancouver Canucks. But at the very least, I think he's somebody with a ton of potential as a coach, right? Again, he's only 37. So even if you don't like how it went for him in Chicago, he's so young as a coach. So young as a coach. Has so much opportunity to learn and grow and develop. And now you've got him in your organization. I don't know if it's, you know, maybe it's too far to say this is kind of an extended interviewing process for a further roll down the road. It probably is too far, but, but, but it, it really stuck out to me as, okay, it's a good role for him and a good fit for him right now. I'm curious how it grows in the future as well. It fits within the overall rubric, though, of Rutherford's prioritization in terms of mentorship, right? It's, it's the idea that if you can bring in a talented guy, can you make him more than what he is now? Right. And that's sort of 
part and parcel with everything this organization wants to accomplish. We're just at the outset. You know, there's reason to like an awful lot of what they've done. I think there's some reason to dislike some of what they've done too. I, you know, I'm not calling it all a, a huge success yet. Uh, there's a lot of work to do to function in the sort of dynamic, holistic way that they managed to in Pittsburgh, right? It's not it's not straightforward here, but certainly within the development context, the idea of bringing in smart people, smart hockey people, and giving them a chance to level up in, in a healthy environment. Colleton's hire seems to be part and parcel of, of a wider approach that I think you know, we've seen extend to just about every level of this organization, including player personnel decisions. Yeah, it's a good way of looking at it, right? It's kind of akin to some of the front office decisions where it's like, hey, you're really smart. Let's get you in the fold. Maybe the role will develop down the road, but let's get you in the fold so we can work with you and figure out what's going to work uh, for you down, down the road with this organization. Quickly before we wrap up the show here, just on the subject of AHL goaltending, Phil and Nanaimo text in, uh, what are you guys hearing on Mikey DiPietro? Will he be traded this offseason? And without, you know, I'm not reporting anything. I, I don't have the sources on this, but it's just as a gut check thing. Would it shock me if we heard Mikey DiPietro's name pop up in a trade over the next couple of weeks? Not at all. He's definitely on my list of guys I'm monitoring, right? For sure. And, you know, he has to be. Just based on the Spencer Martin contract, on Arthur Seelov's emergence, and on the organization's public commentary regarding wanting a veteran third goaltender. I don't think this one's hard to piece together that there could be something there. That's not to say there definitely will be, but there could be something there, and it's worth monitoring as this week goes along. One of many, many things worth monitoring over the next couple of weeks Everything, for the Vancouver Canucks. Especially this show. Check back every <laughs> for two hours That's every right. day. Two hours every day. Set your Although alarm. I'm, I'm traveling tomorrow, just yeah. an FYI. Uh, Drancer will be en route to Montreal tomorrow, so uh, Brendan Bachelor. Kind of a bit of a doppelganger situation, actually, I will say there, between between you and uh, Batch. A little bit of a size difference, but <laughs> other than that, sure. Um, either way, the 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 overall, the you'll have the same amount of joggers worn by your co-host and, and roughly the same amount of hair on the head. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that's, but, where, that's where I was going. But there. a far better radio voice, so you guys will have good fun. The voice of the Canucks. Looking forward to that. Drancher will be back on Wednesday, live from Montreal, to get you set up for the draft. So make sure you tune in. And stay tuned in. The People Show with Bick Nazar and Randeep Janda is up next. It's the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.